0: Welcome to the Together in the UK podcast. Today I am really pleased that I am interviewing Noor Majan from Syria. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed by Together in the UK. We're really interested to learn about you and how you have experienced life since leaving Syria and coming to the UK. Perhaps we could start with you just telling us something about you.
1: Oh, Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for giving me a platform first to kind of like write about myself in the blog and now like um, sharing my story in the podcast. It's an honor. Thank you. My name is Noor Murjan as uh, Teresa introduced me. Um, I'm from Syria originally. I was born and raised in Aleppo. I'm currently training to be a pharmacist in the UK. Um, Did my pharmacy degree in Wolverhampton University. I love writing and I love poetry. I used to write poems in Arabic when I was um, about 12, 13. My favourite poet called Nizar Qabani. He's a famous Syrian poet who lived in the UK in the last few years of his life. I don't know if that has a connection about why I was obsessed about him and then I came to the UK, but...
0: (laughs) We're looking forward to hearing one of your poems at the end of the podcast.
1: Could you tell us something of your journey to the UK? I came to the UK in 2011. By this point, I met my partner. We met on the internet. There was like um, a foreign that he used to write scientific articles. And I used to write like my poems about love and like, you know, lovey-dovey stuff. Um, and then like, I don't know, uh, we started chatting and then we got to know each other more. He came to visit Syria. He's Syrian as well. He came to visit a couple of times. Uh, we got engaged. We decided that we'd get married because that was as well the only only way that I'd be able to come to the UK he he was already in the UK but when I came I turned 20 which is a very young age but I guess like different cultures and different way of like how he can actually move um, to the UK. It was quite hard for him to visit quite a lot because it's like it's expensive and he had work to do as well. He had PhD at the time when when we met. Um, yeah, and I came to the UK. Um, been here for nine years now. In September, so when I came, I I applied for uni, but I didn't want to go straight to uni. And then I applied to study genetics and molecular biology. And then I did it for about three years. The second year was part time, but like. All Overall, I I had only one year to finish and I decided that it's really not the kind of career that I want to do. And then I switched to pharmacy.
0: It's lovely to hear that actually your journey to the UK was a love story, because this might not be what everyone expects. It's lovely to hear that maybe it was your poems and science, but that you both have science in common, as well as your Syrian heritage. I also want to come back on your choice of topics to study because it seems to me it must have taken a lot of hard work to successfully graduate in a tough subject like pharmacy and what's more you were studying in a second language. I think listeners would be really interested to know what strategies you used.
1: It's been like really hard I mean I remember on my graduation day last September I literally kind of like danced on on the stage when I was getting my degree because like It was kind of like a dream so it's been like really hard so at the beginning when I did my genetic course I would admit like even though you do the IELTS and you get like a really good grade but when you apply your English in practice and then like meeting people with different accents and when you do the IELTS you don't do it in science and then like you get to study like such a complicated language. It's been like hard I'd I'd say like um, I think one of the things that universities don't really take into account is that when they have international students studying in a second language affects you speed I wouldn't say your understanding because eventually you can manage to understand what the information is about but at the beginning like you end up translating when I did genetics I already studied them back home so everything I studied back home was in Arabic so we didn't even have the English common terms that you can use wherever it's not universal so I ended up translating and it felt like I'm studying two different things even though they were the same exact information but then like gradually I figured out that I can't really carry on like that so I stopped translating and the only way that I would translate is maybe if anything that is complicated that it into simple English that I would be able to understand and then the more I study it the more it will become just like something that I know and I don't need to translate anymore but it did take a lot of time, but I wasn't given that extra time at uni. So that affected a little bit my performance. I feel like I would have done much better if university took the account that I'm doing it in a second language, even though when I was doing pharmacy as well. But I, I I did pass with a like second degree, but I only had like 3% to get like a first class. But. To be honest, like after I finished my degree, none of that really mattered. Cause at the end of the day, I did pass my degree um, and I did work hard. And yeah, the, the translation bit is I think at the beginning a lot of people would translate to feel like they are on the safe side or they can understand it in their own language. And then gradually, the more you're in, you get familiar with the English at university. I feel like you learn English in in schools and all of that, like different to the real life. So you kind of like learn a new side of the English language. And and that was the challenge as well, communicating with uh, colleagues, um, lecturers. I remember like when I started genetics, um, I feel like I got that bit of a shock language. I couldn't speak properly at all. Um, and then my tutor was like trying to know us and he was asking questions where are you from uh, I said I'm from Syria and I think he asked what, like as far as I remember that where do we commute from but I misunderstood it that where I'm from again and then I said I'm oh, from Syria and then he was like you come here from Syria every day I was like yeah yeah so it's like <laughs> it was a, yeah it was a bit of a funny like I was I, I got embarrassed the minute that I understood what I was the question about and then I was like oh but yeah I mean I got to feel like a little embarrassed and then like you, you get used to it I guess and it becomes a funny story. <laughs> the challenges I think that was mainly um it and I had a lot of patience to finish my degree my my mom and dad like pushed me to study science quite a lot from a very young age and my dad couldn't go to university, so it was his dream that I do. And I was the first child. So, and I loved that, like, and I was good at it. Even though my interest was more in English literature and writing and poems and as well the Arabic literature, but I did science the majority of my life. So it was a waste to put that on the side when I came here. So I tried to take advantage from everything that I've studied back home. And this is what why it affected my choice of, like, what do I need to, to study when I came here? It was, like, mainly around science.
0: I want to say a huge congratulations on your degree. It sounds an enormous achievement to get nearly a first studying pharmacy in a second language. You might have come across the English expression, I take my hat off to you. It's really, really impressive. And I think from what you've said, the strategy is basically hard work. I want to move on to Syria itself now. Sadly, since you've been here since you're 20, The UK has become much more familiar with Syria. I wonder how that's been for you. And we heard in one podcast from Costa, who's from Greece, that if your country's in trouble, it can seem like sometimes you're living overseas, that you're carrying the country on your back. People have different associations with Syria now. Did it ever feel that way for you?
1: um, I think with, well, I don't know how, like, the other guy felt, um, but... For me, it felt really, really, really hard. It, it's kind of like I came and the plan was, because I was newlywed as well, and I've never been away from my parents. So the plan was like every six months, I would have of like be able to go and come back or even every year. But then I came here and it started straight away after I left the war in Syria and it, where my parents were, where they are still there it was really really bad like um, I remember when I was in my second year of pharmacy this is when it was like it reached the peak of like what was going on there Um, my dad had um, like heart problem and he had to go to the hospital and at the same time my brother was getting bumped because he was in the areas that were affected and my mom couldn't really reach like to speak to him and At that very point, my exams were about to start and it was like half half term and I just couldn't understand how, I I, I couldn't do anything. Like I just felt helpless for the past eight years of my life. I've always felt helpless. I can't go back. I can't help them. Sometimes I couldn't speak to them a lot of the times because the lines were cut. There's no electricity. You hear from the news that, oh, this area got bumped and then you keep phoning all day trying to figure out whether... Your parents are still alive or they're not. And I had a lot of time understanding how I could manage those feelings. I think any any person would would find it hard anyway, whether they are from Syria or a different country that you know their country is in trouble. I couldn't get support because i I myself didn't know what I could do. I am grateful that my parents are still alive and my family is fine. But at this point, like, I lost three cousins um, during the war. And it's been really hard losing, like, you know, someone that you've loved since you were a child. I I couldn't really come. I mean, I I managed to carry on with my studies, carry on with my life. But, you know, to have, like, my whole family back home and couldn't be able to visit, it's been like... It's like you're carrying the whole... Um, world on your shoulder and there's literally nothing that you could do. Uh, Once I went to Turkey to visit, so I had my son um, I've got a son as well he's six year old like in 20th of June I wanted to go to Turkey to see my parents. At the time, they were able to go to Turkey through the borders to visit and come back. Um, I managed to arrange a flight for myself and my son and my parents arranged a coach to come like get them to Turkey. And on the plane, I heard that they were bombing back home in Syria and I tried to phone them just before I left and I was in the airport trying to phone really hard just to kind of like hear my dad's voice that to tell me that they're okay and then like eventually just before I got on the plane I heard my voice dad but it was very like faded voice it was so hard to get the line and then like he said we're fine and then I I just got on the plane but I was literally crying because I just didn't know like what I'm going into like what if I'm just going there and I won't be able to see them and that was the first time that they saw my son as well and yeah and then I saw them and everything it it became more easier now I visited Syria twice like in the past two years so I've seen them seen the family and it's been better than before it's safer than before let's just say but
0: yeah Um, it's hard (laughs) well it's good to hear that they've met their grandson and it makes your degree even more impressive that you were coping with such an unbelievably stressful situation and bringing up a child
1: yeah when I look at it now like how did I do it and sometimes I feel like you just get on and I don't know you just do it
0: yes yes But it's quite something just to put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Thank you so much for telling us about that. It seems from what I know of you in your blog and how we met through Timepiece, it seems to me you've been really open to communities reaching out and you've been part of them and reaching out to other Syrians. What do you think helped you make those connections? Facebook was really
1: the main things that I knew about other stuff um, now probably more Instagram as well I feel like my social life didn't start until I had a son this is weird enough because at uni like the majority of students were more like younger than me and I was more of the mature ones and I in the pharmacy like there were some mature students that I managed to kind of like hang out with them it's just because they understand more about what goes on new life this is kind of like how it is but then, when I had Joseph, um, he used to go to nursery, and then through through that, I started to talk to some mums attending birthdays, talking to them and trying to open a conversation. And there was one lady who told me about when she knew that I'm Syrian. She told me about a Shropshire Support Refugees organisation, which is running in the network County in Shropshire. And then I was like, oh, okay. So I reached out and um, I met the founder of the organization and I started volunteering um, because I speak two languages. I, I know like how hard it is to be in a new country. And I came with all of the equipments with me, like the language, the money, and I had a choice as well of moving away, but these people really didn't. So I thought like, I'd just give something back. Um, and I know how hard it is, so I just wanted to help a little bit. So I started volunteering every Saturday and then through that I met other volunteers and I met the senior families and it's kind of like you just build a connection. I've started working a little bit for them as well, translating with the phone, um, like GP consultations or hospital consultations when they couldn't get any uh, translator. Um, and then you hear like, it's kind of like people know other people and other people know other people and this is how it works. So everything that I'd hear about, i will try to reach out and i will try to do something. And through that, it's kind of like started to
0: build a community. I am astounded by how much you fit into your life. We hear so many stories of people who've come from water torn countries right now who make such a big effort to contribute to the community in the pandemic. And of course, your story seems to be of somebody who really wants to reach out and support others.
1: I think one of the things that like really helped is is, is that you need to understand that when you move to a new country, you it's okay that you don't know much about it. Like it's okay that you don't know how things work here. And it's okay that if you make mistakes, uh, and even when when you try to go and volunteer and you're struggling to communicate, I struggle to communicate quite a lot, but then you get comfortable with the uncomfortable feeling that you feel when you struggle. And then that barrier of language starts to fade slowly, slowly. I mean, it will always be there, like on and off. It depends, like, to who you speak to or how you're feeling. Because like second language, as you said, it's not something that comes naturally to us. It's like you'll always have to think ahead about what you're going to say. So I I started to think that, okay, like my English at the time is not perfect, but the more I'm going to talk, the more I'm going to practice. And then like you'll meet a lot of nice people that will have the patience with kind of like speaking, listening to you or trying to understand what you're trying to say and that that helped and that made me learn more about the English community I think books can teach you so little but like real life experiences teach you quite a lot you can't really write that down I mean that's kind of like just be mindful that this is the way to integrate and it's okay that sometimes you won't be able to integrate but sometimes you will and when you do integrate you you won't get out like you're just that you're just just part of that community that you
0: stepped in In your blog, you wrote, You've got to get comfortable being outside your comfort zone. And I thought that was a terrific piece of advice for everyone. Also, it's really interesting to just hear you say that it's okay to make mistakes, people won't mind.
1: Yeah. When you are an adult like you feel like oh you, you should not make a mistake but I, I feel like with more of that when I had my son I feel like I learned a lot from dealing with him it's like I th- I was brought up that I shouldn't be making mistakes but then the more you give that freedom go make mistakes because you'll actually go and learn from them and then I started to adopt that myself before I started to adopt it for my son and it worked.
0: It does work for sure. I wonder, you've given us a lot. If you had to say, what was it this mindset that really helped you? Or if you were to say one thing that really helped you create your life in the UK, what would it be?
1: I would say mindset. I mean, I, I did come from Syria and I wasn't integrated with other than Syrian people back home. And when I came here, it felt quite like I felt quite an alien to be honest, because at the time there weren't many Syrians. And when I used to say to people I'm from Aleppo, they had no idea where Aleppo is. But now, like the majority of the people that I meet, they know where it is. Even when I say I'm from Syria, they were like, "Oh, what city?" And I was like, "Oh." When I came, like nobody even knew like where Syria like is. The mentality helped me because I, when I came, I didn't want just to meet with Syrian people, even though that would make me feel like really comfortable, you know, like you meet with people that you were kind of like raised up with or that you, you're familiar with. Uh, so that's what I mean. But then like that would really not get you anywhere. And I mean, like I when I came to the UK, I knew that I'm not going to leave. So I knew this is going to be my life and when the syrian war happened i knew that even if i wanted to go back i would not be able to so i wanted to build a life and that life here does not just include syrians and it includes of course english people it includes people from different backgrounds and unless i integrate with all of them i, I can't ask people to, to come like integrate me because it's this is how it works like you know you want integration you need to go and seek it as well
0: so this is about reciprocity. At the beginning of the podcast, you talked about that you write your own poetry. I think this has been a teaser for anybody who's been listening that we promised that you would read one of your poems out for us. Do you feel ready to do that?
1: The poem called um, I Came Out Alive. I'm a refugee. I once had a home. I had money. I had a life. I had a life built with my sweat. I had a shelter, a roof over my head, a place I called home. I didn't want to leave. My home left me. My home died before I did, and I died many times. My grave isn't digged yet. Suddenly, my shelter became ashes, became a graveyard of the memory of the loss of living souls, a memory of me. Suddenly, I took off what's left of me left it there, didn't say goodbye, didn't look back. There was no time for farewells. Are they going to kill what's left of me? There, here, are they going to chase me? Run, run for your life, a voice screamed. I held my children tight, I ran as fast as the light. I don't remember, I don't think of the loss, of the pain. My existence somehow is no longer here. I touched the ground, I touched my skin, felt nothing. I'm no longer here. Denial was perfect. Now I arrived, they said I'm safe. Here's a home, here's a key, some money. Um, Wait, um, where am I? Um, What are you saying? Um, Can you speak Arabic, please? And now I'm scared. That's weird. I could feel something. I'm alive.
0: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that is so moving. Thank you. I know, Noor, that you are about to be published. If anybody wants to read more of your beautiful poetry, could you just say what your book of poems is called and who who is going to publish it?
1: We haven't decided on the name yet. It will be published in
0: November by Victoria Press. So your poetry will be published by the Victoria Press. That's, I think, what our listeners need to know. If you want to find out more about Together in the UK, go to our website, togetherintheuk.co.uk. Thank you so much for being our guest this evening. Thank you.